Welcome to Jack Theology. Uh, my name is Matt Murphy. I'm with my buddy Kevin Young. Welcome back to the show. It's been a while. It has been a while. It's good to finally good to finally be back. I've missed you, Matt. Yeah, let me, you as well. Let's uh, catch up on summer a bit. I mean, we've uh, that's there's a reasons why we haven't been on. Because um, <laughs> chaos, right? Yeah. I mean, we, you have four kids. I have four kids. Um, life has been chaos behind the scenes, yeah. but also, I mean, just in in the Christian world, things have been things have been chaos as well. So there's yeah. more 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 than a little to talk about. I think. Yeah, I, I always like, I I always look forward to summer because it's uh, more time with the kids and the family, but it also disrupts routines big time. So. Um, lots of different moving parts. Yeah. So, um, four kids will do that to you in the summer. Um, we've been spending a lot of time at the pool. Uh, my kids are heavily involved in summer swim and uh, year round swim, a couple of them. So we spent a lot of time there. Um, and, so as I'm waiting for my kids to swim or, or, or at practice, um, summer for me is a good reset to think. So I, w- I thought today we would uh, talk about some superlatives, some things we're thinking about. Uh, a lot's been happening in our world. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about a lot of things. I know, Kevin, you have as well. We've. It's not that just because we haven't had podcasts, we haven't spoken. Really. We've interacted there's, on different There's always topics. something going on that we're griping or, or, yeah. or questioning, right? <laughs> Did you see this? Can you believe this? Yeah. Um, and yeah, so uh, we didn't get a chance, which is I'm, I'm bummed about to, but we've talked a lot about it on this podcast. Um, just on the, on, we had pride month last month. Um Am I just becoming more sensitive to the negativity around Pride Month, or is it just getting worse? Uh, it's getting more volatile, yeah. Uh, I think, well, um, I, I can remember as, as, a, as a kid or maybe even a college-age student when Pride Month became a thing that, you know, fundamental evangelicals we would we like tease about it or make fun of it um but i don't remember being like angry about it it's like oh cool that you know whatever that was kind of my attitude more whatever but it seems like uh this past year um yeah there was a lot of anger from fundamental evangelicals um i saw a lot of hate both on twitter and facebook i think twitter and facebook are very distinct things uh i think twitter it, it creates a lot of uh, it, like Elon Musk desires uh, for us to fight. Um, whereas like Facebook is more like, you know, what people are thinking in the moment. And I, and I saw a lot of hate towards uh, pride month um, from my fundamentalist evangelical friends out on the Facebook sphere. So I think it, it definitely was more this year, which I, was disappointing. I, I put a lot of tropes out there, a lot of different things out there to try to get people to think and not be too like, one-sided on the issue. Um, yeah, I think you're you're pointing out something that, that was obvious to me as well is that there's like two separate things that seems to be happening concurrently, and one of them is a conversation within Christian within Christendom on where the spirit of God is in relation to LGBTQ issues, but then also this um, disgust, this disdain, this negative, like that the. the 
the treatment of the issue and the treatment of the person. You know, evangelicals were, were kind of known for this, you know, hate the sin, not the sinner. But I feel like on this topic, especially this past month with Pride, I felt evangelicals doing both. Um, yeah. Not just focusing on the sin, but also extremely volatile, negative, harsh, bigoted in relation to the person and the individual as well. Uh, and that that was tough to see. And I'm I'm straight. <laughs> I can't imagine, you know, seeing this or feeling this from um, the opposite side of the fence. Yeah, as they say these days, they I think they're beginning to say the quiet part out loud. Right. Um, it was always subtle. I heard uh, I was listening to a podcast yesterday on the topic of transgenderism and Christian and transgenderism. And this person um, grew up fundamentally evangelical, um, went to Grace Bible College and and I think it's Warsaw, Indiana, you know, which is that, that, that I mean, that part of Indiana is like the All mecca. All parts of Indiana. Well, it's the mecca. <laughs> All parts of Indiana are the mecca for racism. <laughs> well, the mecca for like fundamental evangelicals, you have Taylor University, IWU, Indian Wesleyan, you have Grace, all these like big time evangelical colleges. And they were just talking about how like uh, it was actually Bible for normal people uh, or faith for normal people, one of the two I was listening to. And the the question that Jared asked was, um, do you have any practical advice for people that might be transitioning to transgenderism or as part of the lesbian and uh, gay community and, and he the, this guy said if if an evangelical pastor like if you email them and, and ask them their view on lgbtqi uh stuff and they reply back let's go get coffee never go to that church ever because they're just gonna hurt you and harm you yeah and that hit me and i had to stop the podcast and process because i that was my line and I can remember thinking that, like, I, I want to help them. I want to, like, befriend them, and I want them to get to know me. And d- was I really trying to harm them? And then I had to think about the, the culture in which I was in. Uh, was The answer was yes. Like, I, maybe my heart wasn't to harm them, but the culture in which I was inviting them, to, them into would harm them. Um, and so, yeah, I, w- I think that's great advice. And so I think we've always, we've always hated the person. I'll say it bluntly, like yeah. evangelicalism has always hated the LGBTQ community, community, but we just didn't want to say it out loud. And I think now people are saying that out loud more and more, which is, is disheartening. Like I, I get disheartened when I see that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I think there's a feeling, a sense of um, justification behind saying it out loud. You know, what I heard a lot this past month was, my reaction and the way that I am treating others uh, is because it's in your face all the time. Like I can't get away from this in my face. And, you know, maybe some of that volatility and overreaction, if I can say that to pride month is coming from, it is every company is jumping on board. Every company is kind of wooing um, that market or people who are friendly or, or allied with that market. And, I mean, come on, y'all. This is what companies do. You know, they bait and advertise in creative ways in order to get attention in the public space in order to drive sales. And yeah, they're going to use this in order to do that if it drives sales or drives attention. So they're going to, you know, stir that pot and stoke those fires. The church and religious, we do that as well. Uh, so we're, we're not 
absolved from from doing that. But you know, people saying it's in your face all the time, and I just kind of sit back from that and think. You know, if I'm an LGBTQ person, then I'm going to say, really, you're saying that gay stuff is in my face all the time whenever literally 99 <laughs> percent of what happens in the world is, is centered around straight, you know, heterosexuality. Like, really, what's in whose face all the time? Let's just let's just be honest about this. Like, like I was at Target the other day and my kids pointed out that there are band-aids in different colors for different color skin. And it just, I was like, you know, it's just such an easy port to me over to racism and how the church responded and reacted, uh, you know, during the sixties and civil rights and, and racism. And this thought that, you know, this whole community of people who are non-white have been confronted with the fact that they aren't white through usage of band-aids for like decades. And so, you, you know, what's in your face? Uh, well, okay. I think you're, I think you're an idiot. <laughs> if, if your position of justification for the way you're treating and acting and venting and being bigoted is, well, it's in our face all the time, so this is justification, well, think of a better reason. Yeah, is it really, though? I mean, to your point, like, um, like I guess what they want is they just want their version of Christianity to be spewed out of all these corporate you know, companies and to not be confronted. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but you could just ignore it. Like they want want Chick-fil-A's and Hobby Lobby's everywhere. Like down with Disney. Yeah. Like there's certain parts of stores I I have no interest in, in seeing and I have no problem ignoring those areas of the stores. I, I, you know, over advertisements pop up that I don't, I'm not interested in, you know, like, um, women's makeup. I change the channel, you know, like, or I don't walk in the women's makeup section. Um, I, I don't understand, you know, why, like, so I'm, so let's take this logic. So I don't like women's makeup because I don't wear it. That's not part of who I am as a man. Right. So I'm going to, uh, you know, criticize and condemn everyone who uses women. No, you're going to go to, you're going to go on you're going to go into the store and cause a scene so much so yeah. that that the stores have to hide the merchandise so that you won't be confronted with it in the front of the store yeah. it's it's insanity it's insanity yeah. not only can i avoid purchasing what i don't want to purchase but you cannot be allowed to be able to purchase what you want to purchase and I don't even want to see it like what kind of messed up world are Christians trying to live in where one breath they'll say that and then four days after pride month they will be waving flags and celebrating freedom (laughs) freedom really what what is freedom okay let's talk let's talk about what freedom means to you because you I don't think you understand the word Oh, and, and yeah, we, America was founded for what the right to be who you are. Right. Uh, the Puritans came because they wanted to be a pure, they wanted to be Puritans. Um, yeah. And, well, and they, yeah, they reacted yeah. against religious legalism that told them how they needed to act and, and worship and live. And then the Puritans actually became what they hated here. Yeah. They became what the church of England was in England just here yeah i mean that we do that all the time right like well we, we still do yeah those 1689 or london baptist confessioners <laughs> but that's what we do all the time like we react to something 
and then we do the same thing that we were, were reacting against. Um, I don't know, do that. Human, it's just human nature. <laughs> okay, I do do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I like why can't the LGBTQI community have the same rights that everyone else wants and has in here in America. And it has um, nothing to do with religion or theology or God. It, it, it just does it. It has everything to do with bigotry. Uh, it, yeah. I, I just, there, there is, there is no way. It, it's the same lines. It's the same arguments. It's the same tactics that we use during civil rights. Uh, it is not, it is, it is no longer about theology and spirituality. And, and that's, proven by the fact that most of the people who are most against it um, are the weakest <laughs> are the weakest spiritually among us uh, it's not it's not about it's not about that anymore it's about it's about racism that is ported over now to sexual yeah. identity and the whole idea that they, they're trying to like say pride to sin it's like oh my gosh don't not, even get me started <laughs> it's not being prideful as the bible defines sin it's being just proud of who, who, who you are, who God designed you to be, just as we would teach in our own, like in every, I would teach that to every person in my commute church faith community as be proud of who God made you to be. Like They know it's not about that you. though. These are the same people who are wearing American flags, you know, oh, yeah. on their, on their, on their speedos on July 4th, on their, on their rompers. Yeah. <laughs> these are, these are the, well, you know, America, I you know, exceptionalism is is up there with the Trinity for a lot of these folks. Um, you know, it's, it's 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 country, God, and you know, Uncle Sam. I mean, I think you know, all of us in America, to some extent, have have done that, um, and it's it's dangerous the the synchronization of. Our civil religion, as you know, you and I have talked about a lot, and our and our Christian religion. It's tough to to tear those two things apart. Yeah, um, I did a sermon on was it July second on I called it pledging allegiance, and I talked about that idea. Um, and yeah, I mean, our government wants us to pledge allegiance first and foremost to country. Let's not get this skewed, like. You know, a lot of the, the, you know, the Marines, God and country, um, they, it's really country for our government. So they're, they're, they know, and they're, they're not like accidentally falling into this, like, cause there's billions of dollars of research on, on how to get people to fall in love with your product, fall in love with your country. And so they know how to do this really well. And so, uh, they tickled the little God you know, button in the back of your neck and then they get you to fall in love with country first and foremost. And, and, and ultimately a lot of fundamental evangelicals, they filter, um, you know, their country through their, their religion. So we, we read the scriptures through our, our country first and foremost. And so what's most important to my country and ultimately the Republican party has wooed, fundamental evangelicals uh, over. And so we filter everything we read in scripture through the Republican agenda. In fact, it, it was funny that um, um, somebody was arguing with me during Pride Month about um, uh, 
you know, how basically they, and they're, they're fundamentally evangelical and they're basically saying that I was wrong to invite, uh, some, a sinner like that to our table, to our church, to welcome them, you know, with open arms. And I said, well, shouldn't we be like Jesus was? <laughs> and I kind of drew out a little bit in the conversation about, about Christ. And he's like, that's a good point. I actually never thought of addressing this topic with how might Jesus look at it. I was like, what? That's, that's amazing actually. Yeah. I was, I was surprised he actually admitted that I, I gave him kudos for admitting that, but that's where a lot of people are is they're not even thinking this through like with how Jesus might interact, um, with us, which is sad. Yeah. I think there's a, um, there's an intentional, block in our minds oftentimes because the reality of recognizing something or considering an alternate perspective means too much. Uh, it, it requires too much of us. And so we prefer groupthink, you know, rather than, rather than step back from what everybody around us is saying and thinking, we, um, we just go with it because it's easier for us than, than what it might mean for us to recognize we could be wrong or, or the group that we're a part of could be wrong on this one thing. Cause then what else might, might they be wrong on? And I think, you know, one of the things that you and I are oftentimes calling people to do is to, is to simply consider alternate perspectives, uh, and specifically within evangelicalism to consider alternate perspectives and that you may be wrong. Evangelicalism may be wrong, uh, or th there may be alternate views that can be taken here. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's important. Um, and, and the, in the really important part is that we, that we put our, if we're putting our allegiance first and foremost to Christ, we're going to, I, at some point going to diverge from our country, we're going to diverge from our political party. And so if, if all your you believe the Bible says is what your political party says, then then you probably have your allegiances in the wrong area, because Jesus is going to call us in lots of different directions. Um, and if you look at the if you look at the disciples, um, he called them in lots of different directions. They didn't always agree, right? And so I don't necessarily think that means we're all going to agree on everything and how to handle every issue. It, but I, I think you're going to diverge yourselves from Rome. You're going to diverge yourselves from the United States of America at some point. And, and I brought this up in my sermon that I gave a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, there, there's, there's lots of evidences and lots of examples throughout history of, of the, of the church syncretizing itself with, with the government and what happens when that happens. And the most like drastic one is obviously, uh, Nazi Germany with Hitler and the Christians there and, and how they just, they got caught up. The Christian Christians got caught up in it that, you know, government was number one and the country was number one. And, and Hitler knew all the right things to say to, to the Christians and use all the God stories and examples and, and they bought it hook, line, and sinker. And so that's the fear and that's the danger that we could fall into. And so we see, you know, where I think generally, even on Twitter, there's a consensus that none of us want to do that and be there, right? Uh, as Christians, um, no, one wa no one wants to be Nazi Germany, but there's different reactions to it, right? So you have like the, 
the strong like Christian nationalists out there that like think, well, all right, we don't want to do that. Um, so we're just going to make everything Christian. But, um, it, you know, we've found when that happens that bigotry sets in and, and not very loving. And, and we're really talking about, uh, some kind of moral code to follow and that's not helpful. Um, so I don't know what the way is, um, forward is in this. I, I just know that using government is not the way of Jesus. In fact, uh, over and over in, in scripture, he, he resists that he never uses government. Um, you know, in fact, he, he talks about creating a new heavenly, you know, kingdom or government, if you will, that he manages and oversees with his people living subver- subversive lives as strangers in the land and, and all of those things. And so when I, to me, that's the direction you take, because then in that scenario, um, there's probably, you know, I'm hopeful at some point that this, the tide will turn, that the conversation will shift where all people are welcome in the church, but maybe not. But at least in that reality, there's going to be many churches that welcome all into their communities. Um, I've seen it with my kids, right? I, I think we're a generation. I think our kids' generation are going to change all this. Um, I think you and I were talking on the phone about this. And my kids are having conversations with their friends, like not about, not just about. My, I have boys right now that are in teenage years, and and they're just not talking about the girls they like, right? Their friends are talking about the boys they like too. And I I, I observe this and. And they all have friends who are either transgender or they know are gay or lesbian. And it's normal. Like, they didn't find it weird. Because I can remember when I was that age, if one of my friends said they liked another one of my friends that was also a a dude, um, we would have made fun of them in in very unhealthy ways. Um, And so a lot has changed um, since I was a kid. And to me, that I found that very hopeful. Um, I was very excited to hear that conversation happen in a healthy way. Um, and so I think when our kids are leading the church, I think things will be very different in the rela- in the area of, of this, uh, of how we interact with the LGBTQI community. Yeah, I think there's a sense that the tide has shifted um, and that for the fundamentalist interpretation of scripture, it's, um, it's a lost cause at this point. And I think you see this in the volatile uh, hate feel, hate filled, um, grossly overreacted response to small things um, now, and I think you know that's um, for some people that's going to be hard to swallow. You know, the, well, the church has never believed this. The church has never thought this. This is a huge change. This is turning our backs on you know two thousand years of church history. Well, first of all, it's not. Um, but you know, as Nijay pointed out when he was here. Uh, with us a few months ago, you know, the church has been wrong for centuries, over a thousand years on other issues, uh, for an extended period of time on, on women in ministry, for a really extended period of time on, on anti-Semitism and, and use the scripture to support those things. The slavery. church did with slavery. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I, I think that we have to understand that our developing understanding of the revelation of God is is developing and does change. And what is happening with the LGBTQ conversation 
is something that has happened over and over and over again as the church refines its thinking and its understanding of, of where God is and where where truth is and where we are supposed to live in our community. As best exemplified by ethnic relations, by refugees, the poor, the marginalized, our relationship with, with um, Jews, etc., 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 and there will be a group of people who are always will be Nazis. You know, there will be a group of people who will always be patriarchal and against women. And there will be a group of people who are always fully firmly against um, any LGBTQ labels being attached to anyone or anything. Uh, but that will not be the way that orthodoxy in the church continues from here forward. I totally agree. Um, you know, talking with people in my denomination. Um, I mean, you say it a lot, right? If you're, if you quietly support, I think you must've said it once a day during pride month. If you, you know, calling out pastors, if you quietly support the LGBTQ community, come out publicly, it's time. It's time. Um, I, I think, I think there's many, many, uh, out there that are, that quietly support. They're just afraid of, what might happen to the to their careers which i get to some extent um but i don't think they have to fear as much as they think they do maybe what we need to do matt is schedule a like coming out day for pastors (laughs) like let's let's schedule let's schedule a day let's put it on the calendar and be like you know pastor coming out day because you know if all of the pastors because there is a large percentage of pastors and this is this is like the worst hidden secret in evangelicalism right now is that there are a huge number of pastors who are somewhat or fully affirming in their theology but not in their public uh persona uh but everybody kind of knows and and what keeps them in the closet is the fear of what will happen if they come out. And it's not, it's a fear based on reality that they'll lose their job. They'll lose their church. They'll lose their employability. But if every pastor who was quietly affirming, um, were to at once come out, it it would radically change the nature. (laughs) There wouldn't be enough pastors to go around. There wouldn't be enough churches. It, It would, it would change everything. So maybe that's what we need is to, is to have a, uh, a coming out day for pastors at some point. I like it. Let's just all do it at once. What are they going to do if the, your entire, you know, 80% of your denomination comes out? What are they going to do? Fire you all? <laughs> I don't know. Nope. Become Mormon? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, yeah, I don't know. But this is, this is, this is the thing is, is that the, the fear that I'm alone um, is is shaping the narrative when you're not alone. Uh, no, yeah. You're not alone yeah. in your questions. You're not alone in your thinking. You're not alone in your desire to want to be compassionate towards people um, more than than filled with, with hate. And at the end of the day, what's happening is we're using our theology to spread hate. Wow, yeah. Um it's true. Uh, you know, I, I know some of my friends are staunchly against, you know, lesbian or gay or transgenders being Christians. And to me, that's just one of the most bigoted statements you can make in life. Um, Let's you know, do it on Christmas re- Eve. Everybody will be there on Christmas Eve. Let's do it on Christmas yeah. Eve. Um, 
yeah, mm-hmm. theology becomes a weapon um, to to create moral boundaries to to control it, to control yeah to to control who's in and out. That's um, because if if they're not out. Um, if, if other people aren't out, then, then am I really in? And so we have to create an environment where I I feel comfortable that I'm in and it's hilarious. I remember, um, being in, you know, evangelical fundamentalist and it was like, we all thought we had it all right (laughs) and everyone else had it wrong. And so it's really like 80% of Christians throughout history have gotten it wrong and finally us may probably even less than 20 percent finally got it right i doubt it um i remember thinking that as a kid how, what what did we do to have special knowledge that we got this right you know and everybody else is going to hell um so fascinating stuff um speaking of so there was a some conventions this this summer <laughs> the, the, the southern baptists uh, always kick off summer with theirs yes and, and you guys uh, you guys have yours too. i mean CMA, our, right right at the same around the same time and they were vo- both voting on women in ministry uh which is which, fascinating didn't we like solve up. this issue in the 70s <laughs> yeah the 80s or the 90s I, um i was proud of my denomination i, I wish they would have went further but i I thought they uh, they fat they they took a step in the right direction is a good way to put it. They uh, are allowing women to be pastors. I mean, uh, they're they're not giving women full control and authority in the local church yet. I think that'll come in the years years ahead. But yeah, women are allowed to be called pastors. They're allowed to function as a pastor. Um, so that's exciting uh, that that happened. It angered a lot of. Uh, fundamentalists and in our denomination but actually what our denomination did which i don't think the sbc did so i give our denomination credit is actually i was uh our our president went around to all the basically all his constituents all the people uh surveyed them had conversation that was very methodical to figure out where people were in our denomination and what he found was is that way more than 50%. I think it was 70, 80% of, of our denomination actually believed women should be pastors. Um, so, and ordained and all of that, which was neat to see. And that ta- talking about like being quiet about things that everyone kind of agrees with, that was one of them. I think because our denomination is very uh, complementarian in its structure, you, to be ordained, you had to like, you know, argue for that. Um, you, you weren't allowed to call women pastors in your church and, and all these things. And so, you, you know, you found ways around it and you found ways to massage it if you wanted to, but you couldn't really come out against it. And, and then it turns out like around 80% of people like thought women should be pastors. Um, and so when it came to vote, it was, a you know, was an easy vote because um, that's where people were at. And the 20% were very loud and angry. And I feel like the SBC, the leadership, just listened to the loud and angry ones, the 20%. And didn't yeah, really... yeah. This is a tough one in the, in the SBC. Obviously, the SBC did not go the way of CMA. Uh, part of it is there's, there's a lot of hostility and anger towards um, Saddleback 
and Rick Warren and a lot of hostility and anger towards Elevation and some of these other churches and places, you know, who have kind of openly flaunted what many of the churches do undercover. And this is, I think, what happens maybe in a lot of religious circles, but certainly in Southern Baptist circles. And I can speak freely here because I spent a whole lot of time in in the Southern Baptist Convention, um, in, both in the pews and on the staff ranks. They um, they do what they want, but they, uh, as many good old boys clubs do, will, will say the right thing, but then behind the scenes do whatever they want. And, you know, there are women pastors in almost every Southern Baptist church in the U.S. They just have the title director, not pastor, thinking, I think, that they're tricking God and the rest of the convention, that these women aren't fulfilling the duties uh, of being a, a pastor and in, in what they're doing. And it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. It's a sham. But in the Southern Baptist Convention, there is a huge battle right now over uh, who's going to win. You know, people who are progressive. And by progressive, I mean normal conservatives. And by people who are fundamentalist, which are abnormal, alt-right, patriarchy, racism, all of the, the most terrible trappings of it. Uh, and, and so you've got this kind of battle between right and further right in the convention. And it's yet to see who's going to win. But on this one, the difficulty is if women, if they had voted to put, to allow women to have the title of pastor in the convention, the difficulty is, is because of the way they interpret texts and do their theology, that would have been a slope that would have, for most of them, allowed many other decisions that they are not in agreement with to be questioned. Um, LGBTQ is, is one of them. You know, racism is, is another one that's kind of in this mix here. But, you know, to look at these passages and say, well, Paul said this, but we have to interpret this through the cultural lens of what was going on there and what he was truly saying. And we have to look at the Hebrew text and, and what, you know, the, the Jewish understanding of these passages is. It brings way too many other things into question because then you got to look at Genesis 1 and 2. Well, the Jewish understanding of Genesis 1 and 2 is not a literal, you know, seven day creation story. Well, if you're going to do that with Paul on this text, with what he says with women, and look at it through a cultural lens, are you going to look through the six clobber passages through cultural lenses as well? They're just not ready to have those conversations. So on this one, they have to hold the line theologically um, to a very fundamentalist, literal, you know, grammatical, historical, like they just, they, they, they've got to toe the line on this one. And it's unfortunate because it is a win for the highly conservative wing, because what this really isn't a conversation about women, it's a conversation about culture war and their war with culture and women and ethnicities and minorities and sexual identity conversations. All, all of these things to them aren't theological questions. They're cultural and culture war questions. Yeah. It, uh, you're spot on. I, I mean, I I think you're you're completely right, and probably that they're playing to the money because the money tends to, uh, you know, be conservative. Um, yeah, and you're right; they're I, dying. I mean, attendance is dying in Southern Baptist churches. They're in huge decline overall. So you're right. There is an element of this where um, 
they they do they they see where the money is and where the momentum is and what drives people right now is Tucker Carlson's style what drives people right now is Joe Rogan's style and it brings in money and it brings in eyes and the convention right now is thinking in in those metrics rather than thinking in spiritual theological metrics but just like the conversation with you know our inability to unsyncretize our religion our civil religion with our spiritual religion the same thing is happening there they're not able to disassociate those metrics because god's blessing you know happens in attendance god's blessing happens in giving and so uh whatever theology it takes to cause those things must be god's theology go back and read your bible and that's uh that has really harmed the evangelical church over the years is where the attendance lies. That must be where God is. Um, and not that good attendance doesn't just because you have good attendance doesn't mean God's not there, but it's a we, prosperity gospel. They preach against it, but yeah. they live it, right? It's a, pro, it's a prosperity gospel. It is. It's, it's, it's fascinating because like, I, I don't see that in scripture at all. Um, and, you know, it, it's, uh, yeah, I, but I wonder like if they, if they pulled their constituents, like if that's where it truly lies from the vast That's a good majority. question. I don't know. Um, I, I don't, I don't think it, it lies at the percentage that voted in the way that it did. Um, but it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating question. It, it does lie with the money, you know, um, certainly. Um, our denomination did some some savvy political moves uh, to alleviate some of that, um, like giving money to some of these conservative people that had loud voices and lots of money. <laughs> Here, here's some money to build a your bigger building. Just shut up and let us do this thing. Um, yeah, I think. Um, it's it's interesting the culture well speaking of culture i know you didn't weren't you were more referring to the american cultural wars but like through through these conversations we were having as a denomination uh we found that non-anglo cultures uh didn't have issues with women in ministry there was no fight about women in ministry it was a very uh monocultural issue uh which i found very fascinating uh, that it's really only our, our white Anglo culture that is dealing with this uh, as, as I mean, I know there are other cultures, but by and large, it's, it's our, our culture that um, is dealing with it, um, which if you look back at the Americans founding, um, men ruled, right? And that was very cultural, which I find, I just find it so interesting that it's like well don't let the culture dictate how you read the scriptures but yet we if you look back over culture you can see many evidences of fundamentalists reading scripture based on how the culture is and was um look at how jesus handled that he lived in a very um you know patriarchal culture and he lived a lot differently than that culture did um which should tell us something right yeah like what like he didn't sit up there and be like no guys uh the the scriptures say that we must do this or we've done this for thousands of years this way we must continue this way um he didn't do that 
Um, so anyways, I, I think I'm proud of my denomination. I want them to see do more them do more. It'll be interesting to see when some of these big money churches is so that have threatened to leave because they changed this, if they leave or, or how our denomination might bend, uh, to them. Um, and it, uh, while you were talking, it, it's funny because it's like, I, I see SBC people calling Beth more progressive and liberal. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, what? Is this the same Beth Moore? Yeah. Anything that I don't, yeah. Anything that I don't like gets called progressive, gets called liberal, gets called leftist, (laughs) gets called Marxist. I mean, y'all. Like what? You're just, you are showing how lightly educated you are whenever you, you, you name call in general, but especially whenever you name call with words that don't fit at all definitionally what what you're referring it to but whenever you live in an echo chamber um these things have cachet these words these ideas have cachet and so they carry weight in your echo chamber so then when you get out of your echo chamber you use these words and you look like a fool to the rest of the world and to the rest of the christian world like to like you say to call beth more progressive she may not be ultra maga you know if that means progressive but beth moore isn't progressive at all um and you show me that you're in an echo chamber and lightly educated yeah i i I thought that the other day when i saw um our friend william wolf get reposted about how if you believe in universalism that you're you're not a christian like let me introduce you to the church fathers like all i thought was like dude you clear like your degree from southern like did you learn anything like like to say that like you said like it just reveals you're you're an idiot like i hate to say it like so you're either stupid or you're duplicitous um and somebody said something which i thought was interesting i don't don't know if you saw this about william but i thought it was fascinating for those who know William Wolf, this might make sense, but this also might make sense for other other people who say stupid things. Um, that William doesn't see any conversation or any um, spiritual or, or biblical um, exegesis as being in the realm of theology. He sees it in the realm of sociology. Like every statement he makes, everything that he says comes it's all about sociology rather than about theology. Even when he's talking about theology, it's really about sociology, moving people, seeing things through the lens of people rather than through the lens of the Bible. And that just kind of unlocked a lot of understanding for me as Williams, even though he has now uh, an MDiv from what I would consider one of the least educated places to get an MDiv from in today's world, Southeastern or Southern, whichever, whichever one that is in Louisville. Um, it just, yeah, like he told me that once back before he, like when he was interacting with people, now he just like puts people on blast. But like I had a conversation with him on Twitter and he basically said, you cannot look to Jesus to dictate how to live in this world. We must look to, you know, other things. And this time, you know, this is what we've done in America though forever is not look to Jesus. You know, you talked about the founding of our country and people say we were founded as a Christian nation. No, we weren't founded as a Christian nation. We were founded as a nation that utilized religion in order to try to control and motivate people. They talked about God all of the time. 
But look at any of those documents and see who ever mentions the name Jesus. Almost never and never really from any of them. And go back and read Rousseau and some of the thinking that was going on in the 16 and 1700s about founding of nations that was coming out of France, which is where all of these guys, you know, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, all of these guys were in France back and forth trying to understand from Rousseau how to do this and how to do this well. And, and the thinking was that, that you have to have some sort of a divine mandate in order to make a nation gel and survive. And so they did. And it was God. But all these folks were deists, which means they believed that there was probably something divine that caused all this, but that it was uninvolved, which is really just a publicly acceptable form of agnosticism and atheism, which is fine, whatever. But whenever you say that we were, our founding fathers were Christians, no, they weren't. They were atheists and agnostics who used a publicly acceptable word for it. Deism. Go look for the name of Jesus, and you're not going to find it anywhere. You're going to find creator, you know, endowed. You're going to find God. But it really should be a small g God because it's not the God of Christianity. And whenever people... Whenever people are talking about God and about religion, about faith, I'm just like, if it doesn't pass through the lens of Jesus, it doesn't pass for me. I don't care who you are or what you say about it. If it doesn't pass Jesus, it doesn't pass as Christianity. Well, and it shows too, like statements like that, you haven't thought through the issue or like the, you know, going back to pride month, uh, like if you just say, well, the Bible says homosexuals are going to hell. Um, like it, that just tells me you haven't studied the issue. You haven't no, read about it. Good. They're an abomination. Well, Have you looked at the list of what is labeled abomination? Heterosexual done, misconduct is labeled an abomination. You know, idolatry you, is labeled an abomination. Lying, I mean, lying is labeled an abomination and you're lying right now. So you're an abomination. Yeah. I just, there are like eight you, things that are labeled an abomination. It, would it doesn't take mean you, what you think it means. It would take you five minutes too to realize like our our version of homosexuality is not it's anyway not, it's not the same thing that they were talking yeah. about and, so and, it, and the words bear that out if you actually read the words in the original oh my gosh don't get me started yeah it, but to me it just it just reveals to me you you haven't thought through it you haven't studied it i'm not even and you engaged, don't want to you don't uh, want to i'm so. not even engaging conversation with you over it like, and i, rem- I remember this i remember this because i we were told and we were taught don't don't associate don't read you know people who disagree you know you have to put yourself in this bubble or this echo chamber for fear of being tainted and being wooed away from the truth of christ well what if Christ is on the outside of that bubble? What if what if you're in a bubble that is resistant against the truth of, of Christ? And what kind of come on? Yeah. You don't know because you won't allow yourself to consider the opposite side and the opposite opinion. And if your faith is so weak that you can be wooed away by untruth, then you've got problems anyway where you are. Well, why not just err on the side of loving your neighbor, right? And then the response to the bigots is, well, the only way I can love them is to tell them they're going to hell. No, that's not very loving. When have you ever felt love when somebody tells you you're, you're going to hell? Um, you know, it, it's insanity, it, Matt. It, it's, uh, yeah. It's insanity. It's not, it's not Christianity. It's, it's not Christ. Well, Jesus said, go and sin no more. Yes, in the part of John 8 that 
is not a part of John 8. He rebuked people and has said repent. Yes, look to see who he said repent to. And how many times he said it? He started his ministry saying repent. Okay, well, it was a three and a half year ministry. Okay, so he said it at the beginning. You know, he stopped. I wonder why. Yeah, and... We need to repent. Yes, okay, you first. Yeah, it... <laughs> yes, I believe in repentance, and let it start with you. Yeah. Um, you need to repent. Oh, I have. Yeah. It, I have repented of acting like you, <laughs> and I'm about to do it again. Well, he, he's. I know. He I, I should be making. I, I shouldn't be making light. I should be making light. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely I mean, an utter insanity. He's calling the fundamentalists to 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 repent. Those that create. Their, their faith religion around these moral boundaries. He's calling them to repent. Woe to you who count cumin, dill, and spices rather than doing the greater and more important things, which are loving your neighbor. Yep. He, he, he's yelling at the Brian Schwab, the Eric oh my gosh. The, Joel. Owen. He, yeah. He's telling them no, you guys have got it all wrong. Repent. Walk in the way that I'm showing you. But they ignore Jesus. They, they literally ignore Jesus. But we eat is- it up because it's easy believism. It's easy believism. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, this idea that. Well, the gothic stuff. Yeah, exactly. You know, Shiny, happy people. Yeah. You know, it, yeah, it, it is. It's easy to walk in that. It's, uh, you know, it's very clear defined boundaries. Um it's easy to teach people. It's reproducible. Um, yeah. They're saying, no, they're saying, no, it's not. No, it's not. I, you know, I and you have as well have walked in both streams of this. We really have. You and I have walked yeah. in yeah. highly fundamentalist streams and you and I have walked in, you know, the boundaries of evangelicalism, which is heretic and progressivism to some people. I hate the word, but whatever. You and I have walked in both streams, and, and we recognize the differences between the two and, and are calling to those whose eyes are intentionally closed. Come on, y'all. You have got to wake up and see the effects uh, that you are having, um, and they're not the effects that Christ called us to have. No. Um, more people leave the faith because of, of that, of people like that, and then come into the faith. Um, I fight, I fight it every day uh, when I have conversations about the church. Well, what about this a-hole over here, you know, who says it does this? Um, and unfortunately, like they make sometimes good arguments that people are like, no, I think they're right. That's how God is. And I can't ever associate with God. That's like that, you know, and I'm just like, no, <laughs> this is not, this is not the way. Um, and it's, it, 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 it hurts. Uh, and it pushes people away from walking with Christ, um, every day, which is sad. Um, so a question, so summer, summer to, I always tend to see it as a kind of a reset, um, and I tend to set goals in the summer or kind of reset items, uh, if you don't want to use the word goal, 
or intentions is, is, is one, uh, it's a good time to do that. Um, so one of the questions I've been chewing on, my spiritual director gave me this question. Um, and I'm actually going through a process, uh, with an Anglican communion to become like a priest in the Anglican communion. And, um, so my spiritual director asked me this question, like, what do you want your priesthood to be like, how, how do you want to leave a mark as a priest? So we could take that to anything, but, um, I really was a good question. I was like, I really hadn't thought about that before. Um, so I've been like thinking through like, all right, what mark do I want to leave in my ministry and my, you know, here where I'm at. Um, and I feel like it's a good time for me. You know, we've gone through the pandemic. We've gone through, uh, kind of a resettling here in a, in a new, you know, in a new position and me replacing somebody who's here almost 30 years. And so I, I think it's a good time for me to think through that. So I don't have any answers for that, but it's something I'm chewing on uh, and thinking about and trying to reset, like, what, what do I want that to be? Um, so I don't know if you had any thoughts. Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely. I think it's something that requires reflection and, and pondering. You know, the first thing that kind of came to mind, and I think I, I was, as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, is this new or is this kind of the space that I've always been in? And I think it may well be that this has always kind of been the space that I've been in, but how and where it applies may be, may be fresh or new, depending on the season, is trying to help people wake up from slumber and question whether or not um, they see they see Jesus rightly, you know, and in some spaces in the church, I, I think that comes when I press against sacred cows. Whenever I question things, you know, to try to get people to to stop and pause and reflect for just a moment and say, well, "What if he's right? You know, what if what if what I've thought about Jesus or what I've thought about this issue is is maybe." maybe not correct or maybe needs to be shifted or adjusted. Now I, I see that happening a lot in other spheres outside of Christianity, but which are circle around Christianity, people who have rejected faith, rejected Christ, which there are very few people who ever reject Christ. They reject the church. They reject Christianity. They reject faith. But I don't really ever hear people who reject Christ uh, and so, you know, I think that part of the space that I'm living in now is, is a space where people tend to look at what I say or what I think or how I act and say, he seems different. Um, I don't love that because I don't like that kind of attention because I'm still a mess. <laughs> that feels like way too much, um, way too much attention, you know, that, that people's view of Christ or Christianity might ride on how I act or react because I don't do it well. And also, I just kind of hate it because why, why am I alone in that? You know, why, why are there not other great examples of, of people who are open and, and considerate and have, um, whoever used the term, a, a generous orthodoxy that, that listens and allows people to reflect and be where they are uh, without trying to compel them to be something where they just can't be in the moment. Um, and I, I guess that's kind of, if I'm answering the question, where do I want my priesthood to be? I, I would like to dive more deeply into that space where uh, I'm a, a bridge in whatever way is, is needful between 
Christ, who I think is central to who I am and, and what I want to be and where I want to go, and other people who aren't there. That's good. See that in you. Um, yeah, I mean, what I wrote down initially was uh, in my spiritual direction meeting was like a spiritual guide, like guide people into the ways of Jesus. Um, I tend to get most energy off of like just getting in the nitty gritty with people and in, in, in a lot of my public posts come out of dealing with people, right. Dealing with their messy situations. Cause I feel like, Oh, there's a learning here. There, there's a guiding point. There's something I can bring that maybe others out there would also benefit from. But the, all of that comes from like, tilling the soil with with relationships on the ground um yeah i think some we have similar i think hearts is like pointing people to jesus and and saying the hard things and um guiding them into the because it's hard to like one of the biggest things i deal with here is like um this is a topic we go on for a while maybe it's a whole podcast at some point but parenting right like it's like like a lot of like people worship their kids and then they don't want to like upset the, the, uh, you know, the cart and, and whatever. And, and so they don't do anything. They don't like their parenting style is not to parent. It's like the, the kids rule, um, whatever the kid wants, they get, um, it, it and then it, it actually creates chaos. Cause I've learned that like kids, they want, especially the younger they are. I mean, obviously as they get in the teen years, there's a little bit, you, you got to teach them to be an adult. Um, you give them a little bit more space and, and, and adjust that. But like in the early years, especially like when they're younger, they feel comfort in knowing that you're in control and they feel discomfort when they don't feel like somebody's in control and they have to control, even though as a parent, you think, Oh, it'd just be easier to let them control and give them what they want. I don't have to fight them. You, you create more problems. And so a lot of my interactions, just like showing people how to parent well and point people in, to, to Christ in that way. And, and you can use Christ in your parenting as well, how he parented the disciples. Um, you can see a lot of that there. Um, anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. No, I feel like, you know, you and I, as, as much as we are alike in a lot of ways, you do this a lot better probably than I do. And being, um, you know, walking alongside, you know, people, I, that is not my gift. I'm much more a, I'm going to jump in and, and shout or rattle a cage and then jump back out, shout at yeah. somebody else and rattle their cage you know, a little bit. Whereas, whereas you do a much better job, I think in, in maintaining, you know, ongoing relationship and, and refining. And there's a power and a strength in that, that I don't, that I don't have. And as you were talking, you know, in the beginning, I, there's probably a, a better word for this than like trip leader or guide or spiritual guru. But the word that came to mind was kind of pilgrimage. And, you know, I, I think I see you a lot of times, um, really joining people on a pilgrimage. And there's, I, I just, I really like that, that metaphor, uh, for you. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I so, to that point, that's a, that's a confirmation for me. Thank you. It was like, um, one of my goals for the summer is to write more. I, I think writing has a couple benefits. 
it could be a, it could be a guide to people what you produce and i know you're writing a book to help i was going to say my goal is to write more too yeah. <laughs> before my deadline yeah. you have deadlines yeah. i have no deadlines but I'll, the, I'll give you one if you want it it's also like I, it's healthy like spiritually and my for my soul to like put pen to paper and write things out and um it's it's just a good process for me to go through uh to think better to dream better whatever all those things. But one of the things I'm, I'm, I'm writing down is like, what, what's the topic I want to write on is like, and pilgrimage is what I keep hearing and journey and like helping people journey, helping people pilgrimage. Uh, so that, that's good. Good word. Um, so speaking of writing, how's your book coming? How's that, all that coming? I know you've got some goals for the summer. In that <laughs> yeah, I do. The rough, the rough draft has to be done by October 2nd. Um, I sent some sample chapters to the publisher and I, I did not think that they were going to be edited or reviewed. I, they just said, can we have some of your writing so that we kind of have an idea of your voice? And so I sent them some stuff that I wasn't really planning on using in the book. Um, but the feedback was was pretty amazing. It was, it was also very in-depth. So there are two editors that go through it, and the last edit is a copy edit, which is what we usually think of editing. But the first pass at editing is what they call development edit, where somebody like looks globally at content. So it's more of a content edit. And so it was like four pages of notes. And I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know I was going to get any response back from this. Now I'm a little embarrassed. But it was really, it was helpful and very good. I posted online a few, like, like four bullet points out of four pages. Some of the feedback was like, this doesn't talk about God. No truth is mentioned here. Clearly this book doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. Cause it was y'all. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I can't, you had to have had some like red pen moments in that. I can't, e I can't even with, with these, with these people. Yeah. But I didn't post those. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to post my L's. You know? <laughs> Dude, the first time DJ edited my content, he, he sent me this YouTube video. And basically, this is what I felt like he said. That was the worst thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And then he said, but you were good at this, this, and this. Like, but all I heard was, this is the worst thing you've ever written. I was, I was thankful that, you know, none of those, none of those L's or corrections were about like, theology or content or direction or voice or, or any of that. It was like, you know, this probably shouldn't be capitalized in this way, or this doesn't connect in the way here that you thought probably it made sense or, or this, you know, like you use the phrase God with us and that, that doesn't translate. So you're going to have to explain that. Or I use the word like man card and the, the person who was reviewing it, like had never heard the term man card before. So it's like, what does that mean? So, you know, I mean, things like that. So yeah, there were, there were L's in there, but, um, yeah, so yeah, gotta gotta write that out. But pilgrimage is going to be one of the one of the one of the chapters in there is going to focus on that. So good. Yeah, and I'm glad to glad to see you. Uh, I'm glad to see you writing as well. You've got cool. a you've got a gift. I oh, appreciate that. Well, you as well. You won with the top award for dissertations in our group. So good job. <laughs> Whatever, whatever that means. <laughs> out of out of all the boring submissions <laughs> that happen in doctoral work, out of all the things that will never be read by anyone, not even your mom, <laughs> this one was by far <laughs> the most enjoyable out of the. <laughs> well, congratulations! I'm excited to read it. Um, hopefully, I get an advanced copy. 
Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll send yeah, you that. Earn that. <laughs> in your life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I I'll send you one. Um, man. <laughs> the uh, yeah. So the only other thing left to talk about, I guess, at this point, is uh, fitness, baby. Yeah. Well, all right. Here uh, we go. Well, how's your uh, bodybuilding uh, journey going? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I'm just trying to work through injuries. Um, my coach has, some trainer has still not yet given me a deadline um, as to when when the competition actually is. I, I don't know, you know, <laughs> I figure in the next few weeks, I'll probably know whether or not he's like, you can be ready in the fall or he's like, mm, it's going to take until, until spring. But I continue to kind of lose weight slowly, like a pound a week or two at the most, which is weird. I thought that the trajectory would be a lot faster on the losing weight, but fortunately I think I'm hopefully maintaining more muscle this way, which is good. But he, um, <laughs> I have to give him feedback every week. And he said, you know, at the very beginning, when you're giving me feedback, I don't want to hear I'm feeling fat or flat. And so this past week I sent him a message. I was like, I know I'm not supposed to give this as feedback, but I'm feeling fat and flat right now. And then like two days later, I was like, I, I looked in the mirror and I was like, I don't know that I recognize that guy. So it just, you know, it's, it's, it just, it plays with your mind and it's, it is tough to just be completely um, out of control. Yeah. Other than that, like I, I shaved, you know, because at competition, you, you, they don't want to see a bunch of hairy people up there. So yeah. that was, that was weird to like take the razor, you know, to the chest and the legs and, and all of that. And my wife was like, is that as short as they want it? Like, no, actually they want it shorter. So, but this is gonna This is going to suffice for now. Cause right now I just look like a plucked chicken. I'm just trying to figure look out how like, to live with Look it, like yeah. a Siamese cat, you know, <laughs> it's, just, it's not pretty. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the chest hair, they aren't like the, it hides a lot. You know, you uncover all that. You're like, that, that's. Yeah. That, I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking at my age there, and I don't like it. I still got work to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, you know, it's I mean, like I'm at that weight now, which I, I think my weight is like today it was 209, but I'm like averaging 207 to 209, and I'm at that weight where it's like. You know, I used to be a really big guy. And so I'm at that weight now where the skin is starting to like hang on the abs. I'm like, well, I'm glad that my abs are starting to come in. But now I've got all the skin that's hanging there from, you know, all of those, all of those meals that I lived up in the past, maybe a little too much. So you know, it's like, whatever, it, it is what it is. I'm 45, almost 46 years old. Um, this is, this is as good as it gets. So deal with it, y'all. Yeah. Well, he, I, I miss, he may come and say, you know what? You just really, you don't want to embarrass yourself. You don't want to get on stage. <laughs> <laughs> no, man. <laughs> take, take, take your monthly payment to me back. It's just keep your dignity. <laughs> Dude. You have to remember, you're going to be going up against other 45 ish year old guys that are just like you. So um, I know, but they've probably been doing it their whole lives, you know, probably uh, on, a, on a ton of, you know, pharmaceuticals. Know. <laughs> well, maybe that, maybe that. Yeah. <laughs> um, Enhanced. <laughs> I, I just know from my, from my bodybuilding gym, I was a part of for a while. Like you, you could hang with a lot of the, the older guys in the older Thank Obviously. you. And the older guys. Yeah. The, the older. The masters. The masters plus division. The masters. Um, so don't beat yourself up. Uh, I think you'll have fun with it. You should, hopefully you get into that soon. Um, yeah. I, for me, um, 
going well. Like I, I was in a good routine till Fourth July week. I got back into it this week, but last week was we we do a big event with the church here on Fourth July, and so my week was in shambles. But other than that, like been doing good. Um, slow like you, slowly shaving the lbs down. Um, you know, pound or two a week. Some weeks half a pound. It's not easy. Last, Especially last summer, week, it's not easy. Last week plus a couple pounds, but um, you know, I'm I'm sticking with it. When the kids um, are off school, it's not easy. You know, holidays yeah. are not easy, and summer's not easy because there's no real rhythm or routine um, but, with the kids. Yeah, like uh, yeah, so it's tough. Um, the uh, exercising uh, that's been fun. Um, we're in a uh, Olympic lifting cycle, which I haven't done Olympic lifting in a long time. So That's awesome. It's uh, it's been fun. Um, some of the old muscle memories coming back, and then occasion you know occasionally you hit a big lift and you feel jacked and um, we'll check your score to make sure you, you didn't cheat. Say, yeah, you're you're a beast I, in the gym. I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to go up against you, man. Some of those guys half your age and experience. Well, I, I think they're yeah. usually surprised by you, which is which I know is they fun. are. Well, I had a coach like double check my lift. He's like, "Do that again." And he, like, <laughs> <watched> me. <laughs> I was like, "I still got it, my old age, fat age." But, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, that's awesome. It's been good. I also have been, uh, which has been really helpful, uh, just for like my mental health honestly i've been fasting once a week and i didn't do that for like spirit like super spiritual reasons i did it um i was listening to a, a podcast uh on health and fitness and somebody mentioned that they started fasting once a week just like for their you know mental like health reasons and it actually has been very helpful um and the carryover has been spiritual, but I didn't do it because of some like spiritual, uh, you know, challenge or something. I, I did it more like, Oh, I wonder if that'll help me like, cause a lot of stress I've been carrying in, in ministry and life. And so it's been really, really good actually. Um, yeah. So been doing that, uh, last like six weeks, once a week, every Wednesday, I just, uh, don't, don't, well, Tuesday, Wednesday, I go, I go 5 PM to 5 PM. And then once every, once a month I go, I go a full like 36 hour fast. Um, so it's been good. That explains why you're crabby on those days when I text you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, that's all I, you know, I yeah. love that spiritual fitness, physical fitness. There is, there is a correlation there between those two. That's amazing. Yeah, for sure. All right, man. Cool. Well, I'll all see right. you next week. Yeah, man. Look forward to it. <laughs>